If you will, turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. So I've titled the series, Greater Than, and today's message, we're going to see how Jesus is greater than everything because of his supremacy and sufficiency. So supremacy can be kind of a a fancy Christian word, so let me explain supremacy for you a little bit. Um, So the first obvious thing is to use the word in the definitions, right? So it means superior, something that is superior than something else. It's higher than, it's, it's greater than, go figure, you know, title of the message. And then there's nothing that is more powerful than the supremacy of God. So during the months of June and July, we're going to be looking at and walking through Paul and Timothy's letter to the Colossians. So Paul's writing this letter with Timothy from a Roman prison in response to news that he had received from Epaphras, um, one of Paul's colleagues. Um, he had actually been a leader in the church in Colossae. And he had come and he was kind of giving an update or a report to Paul about what had been going on in the church. And everything was primarily encouraging because of the faith that they were having. But there was one troubling problem was there were some people that were outside the church that had started teaching people in the church um, kind of this false teaching. And it started getting into the church and they started adding to the gospel. Well, one of the things, too, about this um, gospel that they were adding to was that they were downplaying the role of Jesus. They were kind of saying that there were other ways to salvation other than Jesus Christ. And so, as we will see, Paul goes into a special kind of dialogue about Jesus So the theologian J.B. Lightfoot says this about the letter to the Colossians. He says, "In In this letter, the doctrine of the person of Christ is stated in more precision and fullness than in any other of the epistles of the Apostle Paul. So epistles is just another fancy way of saying letters, okay? Um, you might have um, an, maybe an older Bible that it says the epistle of like to the Colossians instead of the letter to the Colossians. Um, and, and so theologians are realizing that of all the letters that Paul wrote, he specifically took more time to emphasize what's called today the Christology or the study of Christ. And he takes more time to emphasize this with the Colossian church. So the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today is going to show us some very important things for us to understand about Jesus. In Colossians 1, 15 through 23, Paul goes on to make, like I said, some very important statements about Jesus to these very young followers of Christ. These statements about Jesus are important to the believers in Colossae because of the false teaching that had been brought into the church. 
which, I, like I said earlier, was downplaying the role of Jesus in salvation. But I believe these Christological, Christological I'm eventually going to not be tongue-tied today, but it will probably be after church is over. Um, these statements about Jesus um, are not just important to the people and the believers in Colossae, but they're also valuable and important for us today because, as you'll see, the characteristics that it points out about Jesus, we'll see that they're lacking in our world today. And I think we don't have to go, it's not too far of a stretch for us to think and look at Man, if we would believe these things and take these things seriously about Jesus, things might look a little different in our world today. So the first thing that we see is that Jesus is the originator of everything. So in verses 15 and 16 in Colossians 1, Paul writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So why do these two scriptures matter to us today? Why do they matter for you and I? You see, these two passages of scripture add to our lives as they answer two of life's biggest questions that we're faced with. And I think the younger generations today are asking these two questions more than the older generations. So I say that to applaud the younger generations, but the problem is the younger generations are trying to find the answers to these two questions in other places other than Jesus. So the first question that we see being addressed is, does my life matter? Does my life matter? You see, your worth, your value is not in the last greatest accomplishment that you've had. Your value, your life is not made in your greatest failure or your greatest success. It's not in the title or the status that you have in your job. It's not in the, the amount of money that you have in the bank account. It's not based on whether you have a college degree or not. That does not determine your worth and your value. You see, your worth and your value is found in the fact that you were created by Almighty God. That you were created by God. But not only were we created by God, we see in the next line, it answers the second question that I think a lot of people are asking ourselves is, why am I here? 
The scripture says that you were created by him for him. Our highest purpose and our reason for being is that we were designed to be in a relationship with God. You see, we think we were designed to do things for each other and that we were designed to to do great things in the world. But you see, first and foremost, we were designed and created for God. If the job that we're doing is not meant to serve God, the things that we do in our job are misplaced. If going to school is not about glorifying God with our minds, we're in the wrong place. If being a a husband or a wife or a child, a son or a daughter, a grandchild, if those things are just in who we are, in our connection, in relation to each other, they're misplaced. Because those things, as great as those things are, were never meant to be your main purpose in this world. You see, our main purpose in this world was always to be in connection with God, to be in relationship with God. And out of that relationship flows everything else about us. The things that we do the decisions we make, the lives that we live, we're always meant to bring honor to God. That is our first purpose in life, is to honor and glorify God. Genesis 1.26 says that you were created in the image of God. You were created in his likeness to be like him, Not to be God, but to be like him, or better saying it for us to understand, is to be in relationship with him. To be like him. How do we answer those two questions? You know, sadly, I think there are a lot of people that can't answer those questions. If you know someone that's struggling with depression, if they struggle with anxiety, they struggle with these two questions. Because they're asking themselves these questions all the time. And when they can't find their answer that they're looking for, it just drags them down. Because a lot of us will try and find the answer to life's questions in places other than God. So the first thing we see today concerning the supremacy of God is that he is the originator of everything. The second thing we see is Jesus is the sustainer of everything. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, 
You know, I don't think when people name things and they put United in the title, they ever thought that through. Because, you know, when I think about United Methodists, I don't think about United. Because we're constantly at each other. When I think about the United States, I don't think about United. Because we're constantly at each other. But you see, the thing is, is we think that what makes us united is us agreeing with each other. You see, being united is not defined by agreement. Being united means being like one another. Being united means that there's a common thread that holds us together in our diversity. And Paul says it here, in him, Jesus, all things hold together. You see, God is not an absent creator. He's a very present creator. He, he's a very involved in our lives. Even when we don't see it, he's involved in our lives. One of the things that blows my mind about how involved God is is the development of human life. If you haven't done this before, I encourage you, find a good resource to do this. Don't just like Google it because that could take you down a whole bunch of stuff. But Googling the development that a baby goes through before it's born. The things that take place are nothing short of miraculous. One of the, the things that, that I learned about us and our human body was this protein molecule. I had never heard of it before, but I came across this pastor who started talking about this protein molecule. Well, you know, he, did, he just goes on and on and like building up the anticipation of what this protein molecule is. And he says that the best way to explain it is that it's this protein molecule that, that it's literally kind of like the rebar of the human body. It literally holds us together. And then he shows us a picture of what this is. It's called laminin. If you, Samantha, if you put the picture, this is the protein molecule laminin. Does it look like anything familiar? Okay, this isn't like, a, like an ink blot or anything. I mean, I'm not giving you the psychological test, even though this is a pass or fail. I mean, it should look pretty familiar um, to some things around the room. Well, the thing is, this isn't just a coincidence that they found one laminin protein molecule that looks like this. No, this is literally what every single protein molecule that is laminin looks like in the human body. And what it does is literally hold the body together. That is what this molecule does in our bodies. I don't know about you, 
but I don't have to be a Christian to get goosebumps and think of how involved God is in creating us, in sustaining us, and literally holding us together. Why are we divided? Well, we're divided because the thing that holds us together is not the thing that we look to when we think about being together, when we think about being for each other. The sustainer of life is not the priority in our life. The third thing that we see is that Jesus is a leader of it all. He's the leader of the church. In verse 18, he says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So he is supreme being over all the things that he created. He holds them together, but he also leads them. If you ever go to a church and you go the whole worship service and Jesus' name is not mentioned, please don't ever go back. Because if there is ever a worship service where Jesus' name is not mentioned, he is not the leader in that church. But we're not allowed to pray at certain places. I love that our school board has prayer. There was a pastor. He was actually the, the same pastor that was um, asked... Um, that I heard about the laminin from um, Louis Giglio. He he was the um, the pastor to the president. You know, like every president picks picks a pastor to kind of be their spiritual leader. And so he was asked, and so he was asked to pray for um, some big meal that had like all of the government bigwigs at it. And he was asked to pray before the meal. And they said, okay. He said, okay, that's great. I'll pray. And they said, but there's just one thing. You cannot use Jesus' name. You can say God. You can say Allah. You can say all the other things. But you cannot use Jesus' name. He said, I'll make you a deal. I'll only use Jesus' name. And they're like, no, you can't use Jesus' name. And he said, then I can't pray. Because I know that when I say God in the room, everyone is going to immediately go to their God and not the God. And so I have to use Jesus' name. And they said, well, then you can't pray. He said, then I can't pray. And he didn't pray. Someone else prayed to whoever. But if Jesus' name is not the leader in the church, then what are we doing? We're, it's kind of a waste of time. 
The fourth thing that we learn about Jesus from Colossians is that he is the peacemaker between humanity and God the Father. Verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Incarnation is the fancy word for that. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, without Jesus, we're dead in our sin. Without Jesus being fully man, yet fully God, the significance of his death on the cross doesn't really have much. Verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, him, Jesus. So every characteristic of God literally was within the human Jesus. So Jesus was fully human but fully divine. Something we might struggle to get our minds around. But it's through Jesus that we are able to have peace in life. It's through Jesus that we are able to have peace with God the Father. We wonder why wars are going on. We wonder why we're not divided. We wonder why peace is something that doesn't even seem like it's a tangible possibility in our world today. Could it be that we're looking to each other for peace? Instead of the one who literally is the fullness of peace? The true definition of what peace was meant to be? The the Jewish word for peace is is shalom. And, And it's not this peace, love, and prosper stuff that was started in the 60s. It's not that stuff. It's a peace that, that goes farther than just simply a treaty that is signed on a piece of paper. It goes farther than simply a peace that is a thought in our mind of being okay with each other. It's a peace that literally goes to the depths of your soul. That even in the midst of tragedy and heartache, you can still feel peace knowing that God is in control. Knowing that no matter what they do to your body, they cannot do to your soul. The fifth thing we see is that Paul shifts toward the end of this passage or this segment of Scripture, and he shifts from this cosmic level of Jesus' reconciling work to the impact specifically to the Colossian people as individuals, but also to us as followers of Christ. Verse 21, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind, in your minds, because of evil behavior. 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You see this very last verse, Paul ties together why he has told them all of these things about Jesus. This is the gospel that you heard and have been taught by me, Paul. Anything that is contrary to what I've said about Jesus is not the gospel. It's false. Don't believe it. In our world today, there's many false teachings. There's many false or doctrines of Jesus. We have to be careful. Because people can make Jesus out of almost anything. If you ever hear that there are multiple ways of salvation, that there are multiple ways that you can be reconciled to God, that you can have a relationship with God, run for your life. Because there isn't many options. There's one option, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the originator of all things. He's the sustainer of life. He's the leader of all of us. He's the peacemaker. He's the redeemer. If we want to see a community rebuilt, if we want to see a state established in unity, if we want a government that survives and thrives for people, it has to be founded in Jesus. Why aren't the debates before Congress about our souls? Why aren't we debating about what is right for people by loving each other? Policies won't change it. More rules, more, more government, more, more guidance is not going to change anything. If it's not surrounded and founded and centered on Jesus. Paul focuses our alienation from God on two levels. The first one is our minds. Sound familiar? It should because we just finished like, you know, two month long series on our mind. It's the strongest thing about you but yet it can also alienate us 
from God. And then the second thing is our behaviors, which are governed by what? Our minds. So so if our behaviors are not the right things, then that means probably our mind is not focused on the right things. And I'm not just talking about broad scale, all things. Yep, I'm a Christian. So, you know, I, I, I make mistakes and, you know, I can come up with all the excuses in the world, but, but I have these um, things that come out of my mouth occasionally that I don't realize are coming out of my mouth until they come out of my mouth. And then someone tells me how stupid and dumb and, and not appropriate those things were that came out of my mouth. And I'm like, oh, but all encompassing everything about me is a Christian. But I've still got work to do. Because there's something in my mind that allowed those things to come out. There's something about my mind that said that was a good idea. There's something about my mind that's not controlling those behaviors. Why? Because those behaviors have become innate, innate within me, but they're alienating me from God. It's not good enough for us to say, well, I'm a Christian and pass over all of the little things that are not fully given to God, fully surrendered to God. I'm confident that each one of us can think of things in our life that we've held back and we've not let God have. Because one, we're we're afraid to do it. We like control, and if we let go of that, what's going to actually happen? I'm not saying it's easy. But what would happen if Jesus was literally the center of everything about us? What would the world look like? You know, to some degree as a pastor, you know, going on 12 years now, I feel like I've said a lot of the same things. What would it look like? Oh, could you imagine how things would be? It's like, I've said that for 12 years, and I'm still saying it. Because we're not doing it. We like the idea of Jesus being the the first priority in our lives. But is he really? And, And I don't say that as a pastor trying to come across as though I've arrived in the world of Christianity. No, I've got plenty to work on myself. I think we all do. But what if you did your part, you did your part, and I did my part? Think about it. You see, I can't change you. You have to want to be a better follower of Jesus for yourself. 
I have to want to be a better follower of Jesus for myself. And if each one of us makes Jesus the priority in our life, you don't have to set up a formula to have a community development association to help develop the community to be more Christ-like. It will just happen. Because why? You're being more Christ-like. You're seeking to be more Christ-like. You're seeking to be more Christ-like. I'm seeking to be more Christ-like. If that becomes the priority, then it just happens. The sun is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. He, Jesus says, I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. All things hold together through him. Your purpose is him. It's Jesus. That is your purpose in life. Is your life living into your purpose? Stand with me. If you would just reach out your hands and receive this blessing. Jesus, we thank you that life was not an accident. But each one of us has value. Each one of us is loved more than we could ever know by you. You created us with a purpose. God, I pray that you will help us to see that purpose more clearly. I pray, Jesus, that you will help us to see you as the originator of all things, as the sustainer of all things, as the leader of all of us in everything that we do, the peacemaker between us and God our Father. And ultimately, God, I pray that we would see you as our redeemer. May we live a life that seeks to honor you in all ways that we possibly can. Help us to grow closer to you so that we can live in the world that we all dream of. Be glorified in us, Jesus, we pray. Amen.